Just a quick warning that we're going to be talking about life and death and existential crises and the meaning of life and time and some big, huge themes. So if you're not in the right headspace for that, maybe skip these next few episodes. Welcome to part two of anecdotes. Part two of anecdotes. Yep, that's where we are. <laughs> that's where we are. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard starting new things. Transitions are tricky. <sighs> They're so tricky. They absolutely are so tricky. And I I think that I might be like doing this thing unintentionally where before before I actually have substance in my notes on lyrics, I have another thousand pages of like preamble, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I think is like my subconscious way of procrastinating, actually getting into like how complicated this shit is. Uh, I don't know. It's hard. Transitions are hard. Starting this is hard. Divers is hard. Anecdotes is hard. All of the above. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I like the preamble, though. Okay, me too. I hope that the <laughs> listeners feel feel similarly. Thank you for dealing with it, everybody and Sam. Mm. I think the first thing that I have for my notes for this episode is um, just thinking about the, the title, just anecdotes. Um, I think as I was reading through, as I spent more time reading through the lyrics this, these, this past week... Um, just I guess I just hadn't given much thought to why that's the name of the song and why that might be important to our analysis as we move forward. Um, and I think mostly because of the line, anecdotes cannot say what time may do and just what that means for um, for our narrator, who I don't think is constant throughout the album, for our perspective of each song for like our ideas of capital T time um, and all of those things. So anecdotes I just had defined as a usually short narrative of an interesting, amusing or biographical incident. Um, And the little idea that I had was just like, it made me think of Emily and all of these like universal perspectives that that song had um, universal meaning just like literal things in the universe. We talked so much about um, the different stars and shapes in the sky and things like that. Um, yeah. And just made me think a lot about how teeny tiny our own personal anecdotes are within like the greater picture of the world and this like, great expanse of time um and like how much does that matter to this song and to that to the album as a whole I spent a lot of time googling (laughs) things about time (laughs) the past few days (laughs) yes uh god me too yes and like yes to everything you said I think that um 
this album in particular, but yeah, also just the the word itself, anecdotes, like, or I guess not the word itself, but the word in the context of how she uses it in this song, um, really forces you to like zoom out and consider like your whole life narrative as being depicted through this anecdote, like being described as an anecdote, which just sort of like diminishes it in a way, right? Like it, it sort of makes it forces you to to think about the fact that you're but one of just like this multiplicity of experiences that uh that our little world is composed of mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know i think it's i think it's important uh that that this song is called anecdotes and it sort of st- sets the stage too in my mind this is just <clears throat> like i thought that i have that it sort of sets the stage for our, it primes us to think of the songs that follow as Mm -hmm. anecdotes too. So it's like not just a description of maybe this one song, but also it's like, look, here's a bunch of anecdotes, which is is interesting because then it like sets the album up as like telling us that like you're going to get through all these songs and still be missing something. Like you're still not going to get what time can do. Yeah, and I think it really, this song really sets us up for, like, the multiplicity of perspectives that we're about to dive into with each of these songs. Um, And I so agree that, like, even by the end of the album, even if we have collected, you know, how many songs? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, (laughs) eleven-ish if we're looking at each song as an anecdote, if we've collected all of these perspectives all of these anecdotes about time and life and experience and how all of those work together or don't uh we still don't have the full the full picture right I think it was last week um when we recorded I think that I had said something like this last week or referenced the fact that in one of the one of the interviews I had read last week in preparation for our recording session on divers slash anecdotes um that Joanna described the narrators of these songs as sort of passing like being like relay runners and like Mm. passing a baton from one to the other Mm -hmm. and she said like she said something more eloquent more eloquently than I'm gonna say it but like that they were all circumnavig she sees all the narrators of these songs as circumnavigating this question that none of them are directly touching on but that like by tracing their path and like looking sort of from a zoomed out perspective we can see that they're all circling around a similar theme or question mm-hmm. um but if we look at any one leg of that race we're not totally getting like a full picture and i think that speaks to what you were saying sam it's just that like we need to um yeah like zoom out and think about uh both the stories both the stories in particular as they're being told, but then also like the broader themes of what's being examined. It makes me think of two things. The first is immediately as you sang, as you said, relay, I'm thinking of Fiona Apple's evil is the relay spot. (laughs) Turns to pass the torch. And then like in the silliest way, like, you know, those um, family circus comics where like it'll trace the path of one kid going throughout the neighborhood or throughout the house or whatever. And then you can see the path of the other kids. Like that was the visual for this album that I got. So like maybe the paths don't exactly cross, but they get close enough that like we're able to draw connections there. 
and also like how annoying <laughs> and hard it's gonna be to try and make all those connections because I think we both said this before like I'm not great at big picture right I love the teeny tiny details I'm trying to make sense of like what a single word might mean Um, yes which there is is hard the rest is so hard but there's a fuck ton of that happening in this album too I have some stuff to say about that later on in this episode when I start talking about James Joyce um uh on that exact point of like the fucking details and meaning of each word speaking of meaning of each word too um so one of the things I had read is um or that I like yeah was thinking of is that uh when I googled just like anecdote definition Mm -hmm. the one that you read comes up and then there was like two other like similar definitions underneath it just on google when I um looked it up so one says an account regarded as unreliable or hearsay and I love the idea that the unreliability would be built right into the notion of anecdote. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is a depiction of a minor narrative incident in a painting. Uh, not sure how to <laughs> connect that one. But um, yeah, I just love the idea that unreliability is built right in because I think a lot of the themes of this album connect to the question of like whose history gets remembered and whose history yes. gets erased and like how much of that how much of what we think we know is reliable both in terms of like our own experience of time and our our understanding of history and culture and all that jazz (laughs) yeah I think it's really important to remember too that like even like us as unreliable narrators too right like our anecdotes about whatever we're getting into are just as unreliable as anyone else's um but I just, I, I loved what you said at the beginning that just like trying to describe an entire life or an entire experience in just a few sentences is impossible. That's an impossible task. And Right. Yeah. It has to leave out some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Where do we go from there? <laughs> um, okay. So, well, I asked on Facebook, like, what is this song about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Lee's answered. So... Lise, uh, who has contributed some wonderful, brilliant thoughts um, to us before. So thank you so much for all your thoughts, Lise. Um, but she writes, uh, she uh, was sort of bringing our attention to the question of the role of photography throughout the whole album of Divers. Um, and she mentioned she has a degree in photography. Like she is particularly interested in this question. And so she writes, photography is so tied to to memory and time and by extension grief and longing which are huge themes on this album on this song I interpret I want to go where the light won't bend as the longing to go to a place outside of time when there is no photography no need for it because there is no past and no loss no time no clock etc this also feels related to before you and I ceased to mean now and began to mean only right here from Waltz But as it is, as long as we are bound to the flow of time, we will need to memorialize things to try to freeze moments. And photography is just one way to do this. She also talks about other mediums and Sapoconican. Anyway, this is just one lens, pun intended, (laughs) through which to view it. But I hope this helps. And I want to go back to some old notes from school to find richer connections. So I hope you do. And I hope that you send us those connections that you find, these, because I think that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, I had responded to her too that like 
uh, well, that I think that that's brilliant. And that also it reminds me of a pin light bent, like one interpretation of um, that phrase, I guess. So like if we don't on our own keep talking about it, I hope Lise reminds us to talk about photography and its themes, especially as it ties to memory and what we remember and history and all sorts of stuff. And especially we got into a little bit of the cover art and the album art. And I think it's fair to say that photography played more of a role in this album um, than in any of the other albums, right? Um, Yeah. Thanks, Lise. You're the best. Thanks, Lise. Um, Okay. So then... (sighs) Do you have preliminary notes before we get to the lyrics? Um, I have this interview that I read. I'm sure you read it too in the LA Times. Just uh, there were a few little snippets that I really liked. Um, uh, The author describes, uh, so the author says, Joanna described the setting of divers as a place where history and humanity is concentrated and layers. It sounds like the, th- the city, but jumps through time and space. Um, I think I just like that idea of like uh, layering as we move forward too, especially yeah. as we're trying to connect and like weave through all of these narrators and anecdotes. Um, some kind of visual organizer would be really helpful <laughs> for me in this context, like some kind of 3D. I don't yes. know. Yes. Right. <laughs> I mean, there are there are layers and layers and layers to all of this, and it's so hard to keep track of. But I also I love that description of, um, that was her, in her own words, right? That these. Yes, a place where history and humanity is concentrated and layered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, it's both intimidating and exciting to me mm-hmm. that she would describe these songs like that. Yeah, so I think this was, yeah, Randall Roberts, I think, was the writer of that article in the LA Times. Yes. Yeah, I also read there, uh, what did I have? Oh, that we had mentioned last time, I think, that uh, Nico, Nico Mully, um uh collaborated with Newsom on this song in particular so that he he's a composer arranger and I know that last week I had mentioned that YouTube video of a composer sort of like commenting on all the musical shit that was happening in anecdotes which I'll link to in the show notes um and I think it's interesting that she had like another composer come in to sort of collaborate with on this song um, in an email, the guy who she composed with, Nico Mali, uh, described Newsom as a mistress of structure and of governing time. The listener feels on a journey with a responsible guide. <laughs> mistress of governing time? Of structure and of governing time. <laughs> mistress of structure so i take that to mean like she is someone who knows exactly where um where and what and how and who need to be where at what point like there's a a really high level of organization and like forethought and like planning to the inclusion of all this and it's really i think you mentioned this last time too that like 
um, this album has more collaborators than other albums, that there's like different people involved at many different levels, many different instruments. And as we talk about like all of these anecdotes, all of these themes, whatever, it makes sense that there would need to be one person at the helm, like trying to steer the ship, yeah. right? Like, yeah. it seems like a lot. Oh my God. It seems like so fucking much. I don't understand we'll get into it i don't understand how she can keep all of this organized in her head all at once it's crazy and to just like invent it okay anyway um okay um should i get into introducing the james joyce stuff because it's like quite i have quite a bit to say on it but i legit think it's really important okay so Um, The reason that this is relevant to anecdotes in particular is because of the way that Time is a Symptom, the last song on the album, or or as John Newsom says, the 11th song on the album, the way that it circles back into anecdotes. So um, the last lines um, from Time is a Symptom is, let me just find it here, uh, Away, Alone, A Last, A Loved, A Song. And then, like, she says some stuff after it, but that that particular part is in that, like, final sort of, like, crescendoed, crazy culmination, feely, very end of the um, last song on the album. And that line in particular is a direct quote from James, James Joyce's Finnegan's Wake. And um, so let's see here. So... Uh, So I got this information mostly from this amazing article that I will link to in the show notes. But also this guy has done a whole series on not every song from Divers, but like a bunch of songs from Divers. And it's really extensive. I think he's an English teacher or something. But I will link to that in the show notes. Um, It's uh, on Medium. The article that I'm referencing right now is called Bound to a Wheel, James Joyce, John Newsom, and the Art of a Loopy Line. And the author of all these articles is named Michael Hicks. And so he makes the case that the reference is clearly intentional. I mean, obviously, it's like a pretty um, specific thing to be quoting directly. Mm -hmm. But she also mentions James Joyce by name in the liner notes. So in the liner notes, she has... The note, for liberties taken, my apologies to Misters Smith, Shelley, Streeton, Washington, Van Gogh, and Joyce. <laughs> um, okay, so in Finnegan's Wake, that is the last line of the book. I'm sorry, I also have the actual. It's okay, I have literally a hundred tabs <laughs> open. Right okay, good. So let me find. So, okay, the very last lines of Finnegan's Wake are away, alone, a last, a loved, a long, the. And so the book ends on the word the. So it clearly ends with this like fragment of a sentence. It ends mid-sentence. And the very first lines of the book are river run past even atoms from swerve of shore to bend of bay brings us by a commodious vicus of recirculation back to these places. So James himself, or uh, sorry, Joyce himself revealed that the book ends in the middle of a sentence and begins in the middle of the same sentence. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, not only is she by word uh, referencing by, by her words referencing the Joyce text, but also in that, in that cyclical structure. 
Um, so because anecdotes is the beginning of that, I think that it relates to what, um, to some stuff happening in Finnegan's Wake because if we're supposed to be understanding this whole thing as just like a loop, then it's part of the same thought as is at the end of time as a symptom. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's okay. the same vibe and the same kind of like cyclical general idea um, yeah. pertaining to like the sentence structure. Like the, the uh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. The sentence structure. And then I think some of the themes too, which is, which is sort of what I wanted to bring some of our attention to here. So um, this, the last pass passage of Finnegan's Wake and the first passage of Finnegan's Wake are both spoken by the mother uh, in the story. And she's giving this extended metaphor about the cycle of water. So beginning as a drop in the cloud, first we feel, then we fall, and ending as a part of the river rushing out to sea, evaporation and rainfall. And I read on Wikipedia that the, the mom is actually giving this speech at the very break of dawn, which I thought was super interesting. Uh, so it's like right before everything starts over again. And what do we get in anecdotes? Um, we get right from the beginning, back from the place beyond the dawn, right? Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't sure if that was a coincidence, but I wanted to point that out. I can't believe that anything <laughs> at this point is um, okay, so Hicks from that article points out that circles, cycles, and spirals are huge themes on divers in general, but also um, in Finnegan's Wake. And so I'll, we'll get to you when we get to the end of this song. I have some circle talk. <laughs> um, but also these are just things that like I want you, the listeners, and like you, Sam, you guys' help in trying to keep all of this in our heads as we're going through the specific lyrics of anecdotes to try to like identify when these themes are popping up that that okay. i might not notice let's make a checklist oh that's so smart constantly that's so, so we're smart going to call it shit to reference constantly <laughs> yeah. we're going to reference circles circles <laughs> we're going to reference time. um time for sure <laughs> oh i love this list this is making that makes me feel better good um Okay, so here's some other themes, actually, So mm -hmm. to add to this list. So mm -hmm. um, this is these are Hicks points here from that article. So the title of the book, Finnegan's Wake, is a reference to the death-birth cycle okay. and a playful nod to resurrection, which we also get in that last bit of Time as a Symptom. Mm -hmm. um, so Finnegan is a man who falls off a ladder and dies, um, and then at his funeral wake, the mourners pour or, sorry, knock whiskey on him, which wakes him up. So according to Hicks, but also according to this Wikipedia article that I was reading, these big themes in Finnegan's Wake are cycles, families, so that's another thing that I think we should keep our eye out for, and falls, which, I mean, obviously we're talking about divers here. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, and she, like, from last week at some point we had talked about, like, her describing each of the narrators of these songs as falling or diving or like descending or yes there was a downward motion to all of them yeah right exactly okay so um hicks points out that these three themes these uh, cycles families and falling are also all super there in divers um and then possibly even just on anecdotes itself so another comparison between the book finnegan's wake and divers is that 
uh, Finnegan's Wake is like famous for being like inaccessible. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> so, <laughs> yeah. The most hilarious thing on Wikipedia that I'm just like skimming as you're talking is um, due to its linguistic experiments, stream of consciousness <laughs> writing style, literary illusions, free dream associations, and abandonment of narrative conventions, Finnegan's Wake remains largely unread by the general public. <laughs> Which is just like the perfect amount of shade. I know. I was laughing at that exact line on the Wikipedia page too. It's like at the end of that first paragraph, I think, right? And I was like, oh my yes. God. Like, it's like one of the first things Wikipedia wants us to know about this book is that people don't read it because it's hard. But And like that the that Joyce knew that it was hard because the quote above that is every syllable can be justified. Yes. So it's like man. I'm making this difficult intentionally yes for the effect yes man like yes 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 exactly which reminds me of our queen joanna like very very deliberately choosing every word and she's talked about that process before and i feel like i feel my theory i don't know this but my theory is that she does this on divers more than we've ever seen her do it which is just like mm, delicious to me i just want to eat that up yeah um so Finnegan's Wake also has layers and layers and layers of meaning. Um, Joyce uh, famously in this book experiments with portmanteaus, portmanteaus. Mm-hmm. Um, so like smushing two different words together to make a new word and then just inventing new words in a way. Um, in a way that, that Lewis Carroll does for Jabberwocky, yes. which is referenced in Finnegan's Wake. Oh, cool. And we or, talked about in some song and have one on me in california maybe but yeah we did talk about it i forget exactly why um but then joanna does that a few times in in divers too so that's like another similarity another point of similarity similarity between the two works um okay and then uh so some stuff that i found and this is like just sort of disjointed thoughts but i want to read them all so here we go um so finnegan's wake was published in 1939 uh joyce wrote it in paris over the course of 17 years so like if we thought that divers took a long time to come out with its five years like no 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 17 years between um ulysses and finnegan's wake and it was james joyce's final work too Yes, I read that on the Wikipedia page and was just like that exact same thought. Like, my first thought was, oh, I hope she doesn't make us wait that long for a new love. <laughs> but also, yeah, that that uh, makes the time spent on divers seem seem much smaller. Yeah, it sure does. Um, so that author Hicks also cites um, Anthony Burgess. So Anthony Burgess is the author of A Clockwork Orange. Mm-hmm. Um, describing Finnegan's Wake in particular as follows. So this is like a little bit of a long quote about this other guy describing Finnegan's Wake and not divers. But I think that just the way that he really eloquently puts um, puts some of this stuff is relevant to our purposes because of just the similarities in themes and then also in, in the use of language, which I think is fascinating. So Burgess writes, but as with so much of Joyce, a key to the language awaits us in popular literature. The verbal technique comes right out of Lewis Carroll. HCE, one of the main characters of Finnegan's Wake, 
is identified with that great faller, Humpty Dumpty, and it's Humpty Dumpty who explains the dream language of Jabberwocky. What Humpty Dumpty calls portmanteau words like slithy, which means sly and lithe and slimy and slippery, all at the same time, are a very legitimate device for rendering the quality of dreams. In dreams, identities shift and combine, and words ought to mirror this. Waking life tells us that out of a buried body, new life will spring, but it it is our custom to work out the life-death cycle in terms of a logical proposition. The language of Finnegan's Wake takes a shortcut in the rendering of such notions, and the word crops, um, so C-R-O-P-S-E, sums up in one syllable a whole resurrection sermon. Waking language is made out of time and space, the gaps between the substances that occupy the one and the events that occupy the other. In dreams, there are no gaps. So, um, yeah, I just love the way that he talks about, like, the use of language and how, like, how, like, the vibe that we get ought to mirror this, uh, the experience of what it's like to be in this, like, dream-like state, um, and I think that that's something that we get pretty consistently with her work too, especially in East is like this, the words that she chooses to include and the way that they're kind of like sewn together and sung has given me at least the very dreamy vibes. Totally. Absolutely. And yeah, that like same confusing sort of, disoriented yes where are we who are we what time is it like where yeah who is speaking how did we get here all of those all of those yes yeah and this like impressionistic vibe of Mm -hmm. like I think that poetry kind of has to do that a little bit but like we get these just like impressions of lives and places and times and experiences rather than like this more fully expanded expounded prose um, and then also just like the the um, referencing of Humpty Dumpty, that's another thing I want us to look out for, though I'm less confident that that'll be actually referenced throughout Divers. But like Humpty Dumpty is known as falling. That's like what <laughs> Humpty Dumpty is known for. And then like that Humpty Dumpty is depicted as an egg isn't actually in the original text. So it's like also maybe collective memory stuff. I don't know if I'm stretching, but uh given that we have a whole song called goose eggs i want to keep humpty dumpty in the back mm, of our minds it's ridiculous i like hear myself being ridiculous so i don't know uh sam if you know this and i'm sure by the time this comes out for sure uh the new kendrick lamar album will be out so it's coming out on friday mm-hmm and he released a single earlier this week and people are like losing their minds in the same way that we lose our minds on this podcast trying to like decipher all the meanings of (laughs) the like allegories and references that he's making in the song that he released and the video that accompanies it Mm -hmm. and David and I were laughing at some (laughs) just some like way out there theories the other day and I was just like you know what that's what my whole podcast is based on. It's just like giving these way out there theories. So I can't laugh too much because like, that is what I do. Yeah, (laughs) That's what we're engaged in here. I also didn't realize that Humpty Dumpty wasn't originally described 
as an anthropomorphic egg. I know, right? You just, you'd assume that he was because like you never see him depicted as anything else. No. Yeah. Weird. Very weird. And it's again, like what we remember and like collectively think that we know, which we're going to get a lot into with um, Sapokonikin next recording session. Mm. If we, no, I shouldn't say next recording session. We're never going to finish anecdotes. So (laughs) who knows? One thing at a time. (laughs) One thing at a time. Okay, so for now, that's all I have on James Joyce. Um, I have a bunch of stuff to say from Melissa Marchuriano's amazing articles. Um, but I think that I'll try to weave that into the actual talking about lyrics, if that's okay with you. Yep, that sounds good to me. Maybe one thing, if we could add this to the list of things to look out for, Um one thing that I will mention from Melissa Martriano's articles, so I'll link both of them that I'm referring to right now in the show notes of this episode. Um, but one thing to look out for that she points out is that anecdotes is full of this imagery of descent from the sky to the earth, um, from up above to the earth, whereas time as a symptom is sort of um, the opposite of that. So in this like chiastic, I think is how you pronounce it, um, way that she points out so this this mirror um, that those two songs when taken together have of each other I don't know how to say this eloquently but time as a symptom has a bunch of image imagery of stuff from the earth moving up to the sky but in anecdotes we get the opposite so we get sky to earth and then I'll say much more about this when I actually talk about her article a bit more but the other like takeaway point that I got was that like femininity is very much grounded in the earth and the inability to transcend and move beyond and so we've talked about this when we talked about Martirano's articles on I think it's like divers and Colleen um where like women are tethered to the earth in a way that men are not men can go out and explore and like Mm -hmm. uh, they get to shape history and they get to like go fight the wars and like do all the things that get remembered whereas women are sort of stuck and so men are transcendent in that way and women are imminent. I think that's a de Beauvoirian thought. Um, and so I just wanted to point that out and maybe ask us to keep that in mind when we're thinking about what it means to move from the sky to the earth. So from like being transcendent and being mobile and maybe being masculine to being sort of stuck and grounded and earthbound in a way that might be associated with femininity. So like what kind of movement is happening in each song? Yeah. Um, How can we classify that movement and how might gender, typical gender roles play into that movement? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. We have a long list now which is great fantastic (laughs) thank you so much for making that moving forward oh man (laughs) it makes me feel so much better about moving forward too oh my god okay (laughs) out of breath from my crazy person ramblings here oh but i just learned so much it's not crazy at all it's fantastic (laughs) i'm gonna be thinking about humpty dumpty forever now I need to read more about Humpty Dumpty. I only like briefly skimmed the Wikipedia on it today. 
The character is also a common literary allusion, particularly to refer to a person in an insecure position, something that would be difficult to reconstruct once broken. And it's in Through the Looking Glass that yes. Humpty Dumpty is described as looking exactly like an egg. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's Carol that, like, invented that exactly, though. Like, I think that, mm-hmm. from what I was reading, I think that one of the theories was that, like, because this is an old-ass little fairy tale thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that one of the things I was reading was that, like, people think that maybe this little fairy tale had originally been put in the form of a riddle and so the answer to the riddle was that he was an egg Mm. and maybe that's how it happened but like we don't know the earliest known version was published in 1797 1797 holy shit yeah so it's directly oh yeah and the way that it appears in carol too i thought was in the in the jabberwocky was super interesting too because um, sorry, not in Jabberwocky, in Through the Looking Glass. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't write this down in my notes because I was like, you're being crazy. No one's going to know why you're talk- talking about Humpty Dumpty <laughs> and like and its appearance in Lewis Carroll. I'm here for it. <laughs> but it, it was, it was super cool because it was like, fuck, now I have to find it. Um, but I thought it was super interesting because the theme was like, very much like who gets to decide what words mean what okay hang on here which is just like something that i think about a lot when like looking at anything in english because you know i've taken a lot of grammar classes in the last few years and it's just like who decided that any of this makes sense right who decided that we can take all of these bits and pieces from all of these other languages and then make up this language that makes no sense. No, but that but like whose rules of rules towards. Yeah, and totally. Then there's so much shame involved in like using it correctly when it's just a fucking, you know, barrel Convention. fold of whatever. Like yes, totally. It drives me nuts. I a hundred percent agree. It's just something that we're making up that everyone yeah. takes very seriously. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and it's like a symbol of like class and like sophistication, yes. allegedly, when like that, it's just privilege. <laughs> it's just privilege and like it's communication. If you get your message across, that's, you that's did it. the goal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. So this part that I was referencing. So it's I think it's so interesting that we're talking about Lewis Carroll, both because of his use of the portmanteau things that both Joanna and Joyce uh use and then also in this potential Humpty Dumpty falling uh theme too but anyways in this passage that I was thinking of uh Alice remarks that Humpty is exactly like an egg which Humpty finds to be very provoking Alice clarifies that she says he looks like an egg not that he is one they discuss they discuss semantics and pragmatics (laughs) when Humpty Dumpty says my name means the shape I am and later uh, I don't know what you mean by glory, Alice said. Humpty Dumpty smiled contemptuously. Of course you don't, till I tell you. I meant, there's a nice knockdown argument for you. But glory doesn't mean a nice knockdown argument, Alice objected. When I use a word, Humpty Dumpty said in a rather scornful tone, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more nor less. 
The question is, said Alice, whether you can make words mean so many different things. The question is, said Humpty Dumpty, which is to be the master? That is all. (laughs) Um, Which made me just think of those same themes of like, yeah, who gets to decide this shit? Who gets remembered? Like, (laughs) I guess the more powerful person gets to just like dictate what, what words mean, what history means, what culture means. Yeah, and how much that changes depending on the perspective of the word and the understanding of the word that you have, how much that changes its interpretation and how it passes on through time. Um, Yeah, language is wild. Language is wild. Our cultural memory, if that's a thing, is also fucking wild. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Anyway, (laughs) anyway, guys, we're not 45 minutes into the third episode on divers without having talked past the first verse of the first song on it, are we? That's not us. Turns out that's exactly where we're at. No, that's some other podcast. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Okay, guys, if there's anyone still with us, thank you so much. (laughs) Uh, should we get to the second verse? <laughs> Let's do it. Okay, I'm gonna task you with reading it, if that's okay. Okay, so last time we read the first verse, first verse, which is sending the first scouts over back from the place beyond the dawn. Horace, spare your broken soldier eyes, frozen wide at what went on. Now let's take a look at. And time in our camp is moving. As you'd anticipate it too. But what is this sample proving? Anecdotes cannot say what time may do. Uh, Time again is capitalized. I think throughout. Or maybe there's only two mentions of it. But again it's capitalized. Which means something to me. Yeah. Um, Again makes me think of like this theme we've touched on constantly throughout her music which is like name it and it exists so like the capitalizing there to me is a little bit of like this is a real thing um what that means (laughs) i have no idea but uh giving like some authority to time yeah i get like reverent vibes like this is like a concept like yes. this, not just a concept, but like a thing that like we need this to be paying attention to. Thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's on our list, right? Yeah, yeah. it better be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what does this verse mean, Sam? <laughs> um... Okay, so this first I just felt like really nicely defined anecdotes for me. So here's what I have. Time from where we are right now without defining where or who or when our camp, we, is moving. So from our singular perspective in this universe, in whatever, wherever we are, time appears to be moving in some kind of expected way but what does our tiny perspective mean in this greater scheme of things in this thing called life and then the statement anecdotes cannot say what time may do like our 
teeny tiny experiment experience cannot define what capital T time means for anyone else. Yeah. That's what I get from there. <laughs> yeah. I hard agree with all of that. Uh, and, and even like, it, it cannot say what time may do for anybody else, but also for like, like not just in the experiences of like mere humans, but like, We've got the birds and the animals. We also have like the potentiality of like multiverses happening throughout this album. So like we don't know what time means to not just like other people that we inhabit this universe with, but like what the potential of this concept might be, which is so overwhelming. Yeah. And really to me cites like the limitations of our own experience. Yes. Um, Our own anecdote cannot define what time may or may not do nothing is definitive nothing is certain um we're not able to like predict uh that movement in any way right on any scale and like i love the scientific language here of like this sample Mm -hmm. what is this sample proving yeah yeah because like I mean, like, the consensus of scientists who study, like, physicists who study time is that it is an illusion. Like, mm-hmm. it is that we we have a perception of it that is linear and that is uh, in stark contrast to, like, what it actually is, which is, like, intric- intricately connected to space, which is a lot more, like, malleable. It, not malleable, but, like, um, uh, less just less in line with our own experience. Like it's not just this like line that there where there's like this clear past, which is uh, scientifically distinguishable from the present, which is scientifically distinguishable from the future. Like it's all a lot different than we actually perceive it. And so I love this idea that like we're, we're inherently blinded <laughs> to what this thing is, but this thing plays this hugely important role in our lives. And like, the idea that like it's the foundation of our very experience. And so the idea that like we don't have a good grasp on this thing that we take to be foundational to our experience that like determines like life and death and memory and relationships and love and like our fears and all sorts of shit, existential dread and grief and all of it that like we don't have a good grasp on that very fundamental thing. Also like sort of, for me at least, like, puts into, like, kickstarts this, like, more expanding existential dread about, like, oh, my God, like, what else is unreliable then? And, like, and like is, is my entire experience just an illusion, right? And I think that we get some of those themes later on on the album, too, which is, like, with a pinlight bent and stuff. Like, how, how much of what I take to be completely foundational to the way that I function is actually happening? And I love that that's how we're starting the song with just like (laughs) questioning everything all of the time (laughs) everywhere. Um, Mm -hmm. Because it's true, nothing is reliable and nothing is easily defined. And our experience, our anecdote of time means nothing in the greater picture of things. But it also, you know, holding your own little anecdote is also something that is precious and sweet and like it is a true experience it is a real experience and to the individual or to the camp to the sample that's a real thing so it's like that 
that dichotomy there of nothing matters and everything matters. Totally. Yeah, that's another thing I want us to pay attention to is dichotomies. I love that you brought that up because remember in some point last session, um, I had read a quote where she was saying like these like binary tensions are constantly pulling throughout the whole album at each other and like holding everything really tight, these opposing forces. Um, so I think that's exactly, yeah, that's a great point. Adding it to the list. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Also, I have sort of a question about who is telling us this. It's mm. <laughs> a great question. I love that sound you just made <laughs> in response. Um, yeah, like, because it seems like if this is so, I don't, I don't fucking know any, I don't know anything, but. Uh, one of Marturano's at least um, theories or hypotheses about this song is that there's a male a male narrator um, of this song who is a soldier, potentially even like a World War One soldier, and he, uh, yeah, we're like getting his perspective at least some of the time, and if that's the case, then like, how does he know that time? That are that anecdotes cannot tell us what time may do. Like, why does he have this privileged perspective? Is it because he just came back? He's one of the soldiers that came back from the place beyond the dawn. It's a great question. <laughs> I don't know who the narrator is here. Me either. At all. Um, sorry, I also just realized I left chickpeas on the stove. Okay. <laughs> I have to go make sure that's burnt. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> One sec. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I think the only thing I can definitively take away from camp is that it's somewhere outdoors. It's yep. a group of people or, you know, my working theory is that there's like a, a narrator who is a bird or is at least being um, compared heavily to... Uh, no persona like some kind of personified flying bird thing um, so something outside something where like a family or a group of people gathers um, but camp is an interesting word and camp and sample together are interesting too they rhyme kind of Camp sample moving proving it too. Yeah, there's some solid solid rhyming here. Um and I like the idea that our camp, like so this the whole sentence, time in our camp is moving mm-hmm. sort of suggests that like in other camps it's not. That like there might be other places that don't have this experience because yeah. time here is moving. Yeah, that's exactly what I get. That like yeah. we only know our own experience of time here it's moving but who the fuck knows what's happening literally anywhere else yeah sam if i were to say to you i saw this on tiktok because now i'm a fucking millennial addicted to tiktok but (laughs) welcome to the club (laughs) great stress relief it is ridiculous or at least stress (laughs) um if i were to say to you that Okay, oh, if I we know exactly what you're going to say. The, the meeting? Yes. What's yes. your... Okay, actually, so for the listeners. Okay, so 
If I were to say That's to you, fucking hilarious, because <laughs> I thought of that while thinking, while researching this yesterday too. I'm so glad we're on the same page. I'm so glad our for you pages are so similar. <laughs> Fantastic. It's just, like it's such a ridiculous thing to even bring up, but, but it's I'm not. so glad you know. Okay, so because language is hard. Yes, and time language is, is hard. Weird. And time, the, even our perceptions of time might be different from. Okay, so. Uh, Imagine that we have a meeting at noon and I say to you, uh, we need to move the meeting forward by two hours. What time is the meeting at? My initial reaction is that it's at two o'clock. Me too. Yeah. But that's wrong, I think. (laughs) I don't think there's a right or a, a wrong, is there? And maybe there is. My initial reaction is to say two o'clock. Me too. But then it depends which way your line of time is moving, right? Like, does forward mean early or does forward mean late? Right. So I had the strong intuition that your meeting's at two o'clock then. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the the woman that I saw doing the explaining was saying like, okay, uh, the theory is that it depends on your perception of time and like what how you relate to it so the way that she described it is that look if you picture time being on this fixed line so picture drawing a a horizontal line Mm -hmm. on a piece of paper and picture uh taking like a little stick figure and like moving your stick figure along that line so if you picture yourself as doing that then you're gonna say two o'clock because yeah uh time's on this line and you're just moving like literally forward but she said some people think of themselves, so I saw a lot of people in the comments say that um, 10 o'clock was what the meeting, <laughs> when the meeting was. And she said, if you picture yourself as being fixed and time moving through you rather than moving on a line, then, so like I'm, I'm holding up my hands because it's hard to describe mm-hmm. just with words, but hold your, the per- your hand that represents you as fixed and you picture or you imagine time as running through you if you're moving time forward then that brings you to an earlier time um so i guess the question is do you do the moving through time or does time do the moving through you if time does the moving through you then moving time forward and keeping yourself fixed brings you to 10 o'clock whereas if you're doing the moving then you get to two (laughs) o'clock yeah in my interpretation i'm doing the moving and i'm sure there's some like fallacy to that because i have no control i'm not actually moving time in any concrete way right but i do i guess think of myself as active yeah i don't know as like doing it Mm -hmm. but yeah i i just i i I think it's also like not a not a fallacy exactly, but like I think that it's just as biased of a perspective to think of time as moving through you. Like mm-hmm. I think that who who knows? Time's fucked up. <laughs> no yeah. one's moving actually. These are just like spatial. I don't know. I don't know enough about physics to even. I mean, say the this, answer but. is my anxiety would say so. Two o'clock, and they would respond with no. Ten o'clock, and I'd say, <laughs> oh, so sorry. Okay, for sure, be there. Like, um. Okay, that wasn't a tangent on this already. No, that's hilarious. I thought about that yesterday too. I think I got that on TikTok like two or three days ago. I was like, (laughs) huh, wow. 
TikTok and our lives. Okay. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else for this verse, though? I don't. I liked this verse because I felt like, huh, okay, cool. I get it. Nice. <laughs> I can't imagine that's true for anything else as we move forward or what was the other option (laughs) or it moves through us yeah (laughs) all right so that does it for part two of our discussion on anecdotes um sorry that we didn't get very far into it again because of the preliminaries but also thanks for listening to them if you're still with us uh, we have a Patreon. You can check us out there. Uh, Patreon.com slash a hopeless endeavor. We have early episode releases. We got some bonus episodes Just linked in the show notes. So check that out. We have a Facebook group, a hopeless endeavor, a John Anderson podcast. Sam does an excellent job running our Instagram, which is a hopeless endeavor podcast. Um, email. That's all the things. We have an email, which is a hopeless endeavor. Oh, yeah. That's another thing. At gmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> that's another thing. I think that's... We, yeah, we did just... I was just going to say, we did get a lovely voice memo today from someone about things on anecdotes. So if you feel so inclined, we would love to hear from you in any form that may take. As you can tell, we're stumbling and fumbling through <laughs> uh, the first few <laughs> verses of this album. So... Uh, help. SOS. Yeah. Help. <laughs> Yeah, definitely help us. We are so open to anything that you guys have to say. We especially love voice memos, but like literally any half-baked thought, we welcome with open arms. So, yep, that does it for part two. We'll be back next week with part three. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.